Hello, and welcome to this week's Python Community News. As always, I'm one of your hosts, John Bonifato. And I'm Jay Miller. I'm very Jay, how are you doing this week? <laughs> um, I'm all right. I'm, I'm doing better. Been a little under the weather, but uh, happy to be doing the show. Happy I can talk well enough to do the show. So, uh, yeah, let's jump. Let's jump into it, you know? Yeah, so we got uh, a couple of big stories that, that I want to cover this week, um, I think. Uh, one of these is is one you brought to the table. Uh, I think it's it's super interesting. So this is the Python Software Foundation's uh, supporting membership uh, sliding scale pricing. So um, big the, the big change here is that if you are uh, in in an area of the world where uh, twenty uh, where the the previous uh, baseline price of the supporting membership for being a PSF member of $100 US is out of your price range, there is now an option to get in for as little as $25. Yeah, I I really like this. I mean, the, the biggest thing with this is that obviously more people are going to be able to afford it. And, it, and it's not even just for people that live in you know, I, I hate saying like lower income countries, but countries where like the average salary is lower than that of like the Western U.S. or the or, or sorry, the West during Europe or the U.S., uh, but also for students, for people who are underemployed or unemployed, people getting into the community. Uh, I think as the Python community continues to grow, one of the things that we have to do is we have to acknowledge that not everybody that uses Python is a software developer, is a software engineer. Um, I'm actually, you know, I've been helping someone with a PyCon talk and they work in the transportation industry and they work in logistics. And, you know, we, we talk about that industry and it's so different in terms of how much money people are making on a regular basis. You know, when I worked, I worked in the janitorial and sanitation industry as a sysadmin and because of the industry I was in, I was making less than sysadmins in other industries. Same thing for marketing, same thing for, for other jobs. So when you're not just dealing with VC-backed startups, fintech, you know, industries that, you know, I can't remember the, the name of them, previously known as FANG companies, like when you're not in those companies, giving a hundred dollars a year might impact you a little bit more than, you know, when you, when you are in those companies and you are making a six figure salary or you, you're able to have that expendable income that can go towards helping, contributing to this, uh, to the community that we love, which is Python. Yeah. yeah and, and I think that, uh, you know, from a big part of my background is, is the, community conferences space, right? So I think there's a lot of similarities between this kind of pricing and the, the pricing you'll see for um, for for conference tickets. If you're going to, um, you know, a, a PyCon US or a DrangoCon or PyGotham, any of these com- uh, conferences that have different tiers of tickets um, based on um, one uh who's paying for it right a big a big one is um whether it's a a a company paid ticket or you know in 
I, I guess the most comparable thing here would be like a a company uh, sponsorship for for the Python Software Foundation. Um, two, you'll see a lot of uh, a lot of conferences offer things like uh, educational or academic discounts, right? So you'll have a tier of of tickets that are um, you know significantly discounted against the price for something like right, the the normal individual price that is if you're a student um, right and and you want to go to a Python conference you can you can usually go for um, you know much more cheaply than uh, than than a corporate or or individual ticket um, and often free. I think there's this other side of this that. This isn't, um, before I even say this, this isn't any leaning of my political leanings or personal beliefs or anything like that, but it's like an economics game. There are probably more people that can afford $25 a year than can afford $100 a year. And because of that, you wind up getting more contribution. So when you look at the idea of it takes four people to make up for the one person that pays a hundred dollars. But if there are 16 times as many people that can afford 25, you've now replaced four people. So to be able to open it up and make it more affordable, it makes sense. And I mean, this is where this, this is why the app store you know, drove costs down to zero. And and I think it's it's like a balance. And I think this is what took the PSF so long to bring that that change in and bring that sliding scale in because it is a balance. If you if you say, oh, five dollars, okay, now you get a bunch of people that are contributing. Is that a good thing? You know, do you do you want everybody that can afford five dollars to to go in and vote? Do you want everybody that can that can jump in? You know, if it's ninety nine cents, everyone will buy your ninety nine cent app. But if it's a dollar ninety nine, people think twice about it. So it's like you have to find that that sweet spot of I'm willing to pay this much, but if I'm paying this much, how involved am I going to be? And that's that's one of the things that you and I talk about a lot on this show is that our goal is to get more and more people involved in the Python community. It's, it's not necessarily, you know, to have the PSF make more money or get more funding, which I mean, sure, those things can also happen, but we don't just want people blindly involved. We want people to, take active participation in what's happening in the community. And I think the only way that they can do that, you know, in many cases is either with their time or their, their budget. And not everybody is like you and I, John, you know, we can't, not everybody can, you know, meet their annual or I guess monthly requirements for, you know, community contribution by doing a podcast that takes, you know, 10 hours out of the week to, to knock out or 10 hours out of the month to knock out. Well, I think that, uh, more people, far more people would would qualify on that basis than than actually take advantage of that that level of membership, right? So there's uh, for for anyone listening in that that doesn't know the the different tiers of 
uh, or different kinds, I guess, of, of Python Software Foundation membership. Right. What we're talking about here is the 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 sliding scale for the um, the the supporting membership. Right. So this is and and as you mentioned earlier, Jay, this will be more accessible to a lot of folks who can um, who can afford twenty five dollars, but couldn't necessarily afford a uh, hundred dollars. Um, but at the same time, that hundred dollar or ninety nine, I think. Um, tier isn't really going away, right? If if you are in the, right, you're working for a big tech company. Um, um, uh, my reading of this is that that's that's still your price, right? It's it's still the the ninety nine dollars. The the twenty five dollars um, at the bottom end applies, you know, based on your circumstances. Yeah, the way the way that I, I tried to go through the actual flow of like, how do I become a member? And when you do like become a member, you I think it's like psfmember.org or something like that. It when you do that, it takes you to the hundred dollar page, and then it says like if you can't afford the hundred dollars, click this link that talks about the twenty five dollars sliding scale membership, and then from there it's like the base amount is twenty five dollars, and then you can add I think as much as you want after that to and and, and that's what it's designed to be. It's like okay, pay what you can. Um, I know that usually in like pay what you can services, there's usually a minimum and that that minimum here is $25. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you that more people will be able to pay for this, but I, I do think that, you know, a lot of people do, I, I think not enough people look at this other option of like, if I'm just active in the community, my active community engagement may qualify for me to become a voting member. Um, one thing really quick, I I had a conversation with, with someone over the weekend and, um, you know, we talked about, we had a, we had a good discussion based on the last episode, which, uh, if you want Jay's spicy takes about the, you know, DSF election results, you know, go check out that video. But, uh, one of the things that, that came up was just the, the affordability of, of time, um, and money. So I, I think one of the things that I've been guilty of in the past is saying, if you can't afford financially to support the PSF, then you should give time, you know, and, and I always say, you know, time treasures and talents, like contribute code, contribute your time volunteering or contribute, you know, from your wallet. And I do think that that does come from a certain level of privilege of being able to say like, sure, can I pay a hundred dollars one time? Probably. Can I contribute time? Yes. Was there a time when I could do one of those things, but not the other? Absolutely. But I still think that there are people who can't do either. And one thing that I do wish that the PSF would allow for, and maybe they do, and I just need to figure out how this works or is the ability to provide PSF scholarship, you know, in some ways, maybe even as like a non-voting member or just someone that is interested in learning more about what you get as a member of the PSF, or you get the ability to vote in, in some form or capacity. Um, but ultimately 
and and I do think that you can do this. I think the hard way of doing this is subscribing to the newsletter is, you know, checking the website, all this stuff and having it, you know, come to you. But I do think that there is a benefit of saying that there are people who for what it, for whatever reasons can't afford to give their time volunteering, can't afford to contribute code, but do have good insight, do have good knowledge and are able to give back to the community in the amount that they can, maybe they can give an hour, but they can't give 10. I think there has to be a way to make it available to them as well. And again, I don't know what the the actual solution on how to do that is. I'm just, the, the tweet that I put out when I was, when I was giving this was like, how do I do this? I want to be able to do this. Let me do this. And uh, I still haven't figured out quite yet how that goes. So, um, I, I want to point out that there is a membership type because um, because you specifically specifically mentioned this that uh, isn't a voting member um, but but is a Python Software Foundation member. That's the the basic membership. So you can go and uh, go to the python.org slash psf slash membership dash faq right, and it explains the uh, the the four different um, or um, I think they used to split managing and, and contributing members up into into their own categories, but have kind of collapsed them. Um, so it's four used to be five different types of members. Um, but if you know if all you're interested in is I want to, uh, you know, I'm part of the Python community. I want to signify that by saying you know I am a PSF member. Um, you can you can do that and just it's a it's a online forum, right? Um, the 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 supporting membership right this is what the sliding scale uh we're talking about now is is the is the financial contribution um and then the uh the this group of managing and contributing members um these are people who spend um the 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 number they quote on the website is is 5 hours per month right on the python community or um Contributing to Python Software Foundation projects or running uh, open source Python projects, right? There's there's no enumeration here, right? Um, they they list examples of what qualifies one as right uh, a managing or contributing member, but it's a you know I I think a, a much broader um, set of requirements. Or, or much broader, right? List of possibilities for contributing than, um, than you could list on a web page, right? And and I think that that's one of the things that I say a lot is more people qualify under those guidelines than um, than know it, and and in part because they undervalue their contributions, right? Five hours a month is uh, uh, so I'm trying to phrase this the right way. I think it is a low bar, uh, for someone who is already actively in this. If, if you're doing this anyway, if you run an open source project, right, you're probably spending that time just in your, your day to day of like managing your, 
your notifications and contributions to that project. Um, if you if you work on an event or or a podcast or um, you know online communities, these are all things that that take up. Right, if you were to sit there with a stopwatch, I, I think you'd hit five hours a month. You know, oftentimes before you're halfway through. Um, so, so that's one of the things that I think is um, that that I would personally like to see more of. Right, people talking more about uh, you know the the stuff they're already doing, um, and 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 how that qualifies them as a voting member of the Python Software Foundation. Yeah, and and I would definitely say like if you can do both, do both. Like that's that's the thing that you know the the DSF stuff that I was clearly unhappy with um, has led me to say I want to do more. So during the fun during the fun drive, I donated money, like I but I also donate my time. So like I've I've been a member for the last few years based on time. Now I got a little bit of extra pocket change, so I was like, all right, I'll also donate in cash as well. Um, the the one thing that I wanted to also talk about with this is like the level of commitment in terms of like how much time is, I mean, again, if you don't have that time, you don't have that time. And I fully understand, but like we've, we've heard from so many organizations like DEFNA, like the DSF and, you know, and, you know, John has this great monthly chat that, a lot of these folks come into and they, and they talk and I'm, I'm like the fly on the wall listening while well, I'm, I'm also talking to, I'm running my mouth, but like the, one of the things that we often hear of is let's add like, it's, it's a few hours. We, we need people who can dedicate a few hours. And honestly, that, that has become a problem and that you have these people who, who, want to get involved and then don't even have the few hours. So it's like, I want to, while I want to say that it's not, it seems like a trivial amount, but it is a, a dedication. And, and just like, you know, my closing thought on this, I don't think anybody is telling you in, in this, like, if you want to donate your time, if you only got a few, a few type, you know, a few minutes or a few hours and you do four and a half, nobody is going to sit there and make you like give them a timesheet, you know, if you're short on it. Um, that being said, also, nobody is asking you, nobody's going to vet your reasoning for selecting this $25 amount. So you don't have to get put on, you're not getting put on some list. I mean, you're getting put on like the members list, which is, you know, kind of important. That's what you're paying for. Um, but no one's going to sit there and judge you or, you know, try to come back. If you say like, Hey, I'm underemployed. I can't afford a hundred dollars right now. If you do the 25, you don't have to provide any proof of that. You just do the 25 and contribute. I, I fully believe that the PSF is trying to make it easier and easier and easier for people to contribute, get involved, get engaged in the community. And this $25 a year, which I mean, again, I want to remind that that's a year. That's it's not a month. It's a year um, that is a relatively inexpensive ticket. And like I said, if you don't have that and you have time, cool. If you don't have either one of those, but you really want to learn more, you can sign up to become a free member. You don't get to vote, but you still get access to all the other information and you get to see what it's going to be like as that as the community continues to move. And I, I think that 
at the minimum, if you're using Python in your job at almost any capacity, you should at least be a free member because things change. You know, John and I were talking about this yesterday. Like we, we've been automating a bunch of stuff for the website to make it easier for us to, to do more content, more videos, more things like that. And one of the APIs that we use changed. I'm not going to say it changed out of nowhere. Um, I probably did get an email saying that it changed. I probably put it in my archive or deleted it. Um, But it did change. Things change. And you want to be a part of the audience that helps to steer and have conversations around that change. Otherwise, you're going to be the people that are sitting there like, how come people are doing this? How come somebody said that we need to do it this way versus this other way? If you weren't in the conversation, then, you know, it's unfortunate, but you could at least be in the conversation by becoming a free member. And then by becoming a paid member, you can also vote on the people who are responsible for enacting that change, which is actually happening right now. They're, they're doing the steering council elections. Uh, Go check out one of our other videos uh, that we put out this week on that about who all the candidates are. But getting more involved, subscribing to channels like this one, getting involved in the community, learning about the things that are happening, not just on the code side, but on the administrative side is the way to make sure that the things that you want to see coming in Python in the future actually happen. Yeah. I I think your point about uh, folks who use Python in their work uh, is, is an interesting one too. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of people who, right, don't participate in the, like, off-hours uh, community aspects of it, right? And um, I'm curious how something like that would fit in here, right? If you, if you, and, you know, again, like you said, nobody's, uh, no, no one's going out and, uh, and you know, following you around with a clipboard, making sure you're 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 checking the right boxes. But um, I would absolutely say that the the kind of uh, you know Python evangelists at at companies are are doing something for the Python community, right? Um, even if they're not even if they're not out and 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 speaking at right community run conferences, things like that. Uh, they're uh, if even if they're not themselves managing open source projects um there's a lot that goes on right within a within a company in terms of choosing tech stacks and 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 being you know on the forefront of right uh you know python 311's out now python 312 has alpha releases right if if you want to be in in an organization that is right um always staying kind of uh, at, at the front of those releases, um, you know, most of the time it's, it, it's on individuals to, to go and, and push those things, right. And make sure, Hey, look, our test suite is passing on, you know, the most recent release. So let's, let's uh, flip over to, to the newer one um, so that, so that we're not behind on things. Um, I think there's a lot to be said there around, uh, 
promoting the use of uh, of Python within uh, within private organizations like that. Oh yeah, I, I think that you know, in my job as a developer advocate, one of the things that we constantly say are decision makers write the check. You know, that upper level management write the check. It's those lower level employees that choose the stack. And and the reason I say that is if the stack is problematic, those people will leave. If the if the stack is hard to use, those people will leave. If they can't find the level of support to do their job, then performance will hurt and people will complain and complain and complain and complain until ultimately maybe not the stack that they wanted, but they definitely the stack that they absolutely don't want is one of the first things to go if they can't retain trained employees on using that stack. Uh, and I, I think that that is a thousand percent true. I, I, I would honestly be interested in a PSF like board members opinion on that of like, if I'm working in my job to help, you know, advocate for the usage of Python and more and more Python tools in it, does that qualify? Cause I would hope that the answer is yes. And honestly, maybe, maybe that's a question that, um, you or I can ask when they do the PSF, you know, roundtable at PyCon this year. Yeah, and I mean, there's also a uh, you know part of the blog post about uh, about this sliding scale membership pricing for supporting members gives a, a an email link to uh, to to reach the PSF. So uh, you know, if 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 you have thoughts on like, hey, I really contribute to to Python in this way that's that's not listed here. Um, that that's a you know a, a direct line as well. Yeah, that is PSF donations at python dot org. Um, I had to go find it because I thought it was like listed, and there's like no, I actually have to click on this. Yeah, and it's, like a, it's <laughs> the, the link itself. Yeah. Up. Oh man. Well, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So. Uh... You know, let's let's jump right into our next topic because uh, I think this is going to be a polarizing one, maybe. Um, <laughs> so, if you spend any time on Stack Overflow, you know, answering all those Python questions, get, getting your contributing membership hours in, um, you might know that GPT, uh, Chat GPT answers have now been banned uh, temporarily. But uh, the big reason that they they list, you know, it's it's a uh, a, a well well written uh, response here, and and you know go go read it. But the the the, the core sentence uh, that is most interesting to me here is that uh, the the answers they were getting from ChatGPT were um, very fast to produce, um, look pretty correct, but are actually wrong, uh, and so. Uh, like like a lot of things we talk about here, Stack Overflow is uh, re- relies on tons of volunteer effort, right? If you if you go to Stack Overflow and you, um, I don't know if it requires a specific, right, uh, number of points or anything like that, but but you'll you'll end up uh, seeing things like there are, there are questions to review in the queue and urgent. We you know the queues are all full, right? Um, ChatGPT kind of exacerbated those those problems, right? They 
they really automated the the side of uh you know filling up the volunteer work capacity um with with things that ultimately ended up having to get uh get removed or downvoted okay <laughs> i agree with stack overflow's reasoning for doing this i there's a part of me that hopes that engineers in stack overflow are hopefully trying to leverage this technology themselves to to create their own version of this <laughs> because i chat gpt inherently flawed uh i love how like one person i think i even linked to him in the the actual archive like as as one twitter user one uh, said it's like my seven-year-old nephew who will tell me the wrong answer with 100 percent confidence like yes that is that is a problem because when you don't know if the person on the other end is a, in fact a person um, or a bot, then, you know, that confidence is often the thing that you mentally look for. If someone says, I don't know, but I tried this and it worked for me, that's going to put me on edge of like, ah, I mean, it worked, but maybe I, I would like a more confident answer. And you go, oh, yeah, absolutely. You use this. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that seems like they know what they're doing. Um, you select that. So, yeah, that's that's a problem. However, I, you know, disclosure, I work for a company that partners with OpenAI that helps train some of these models and provides information and things like that for this stuff. I hope that there is someone working to solve the, I have a problem and I'm looking for someone to provide an answer for me because my personal experiences on Stack Overflow have been relatively negative. And that is a shared sentiment amongst a lot of people, um, especially uh, people from historically excluded groups. Um, my co-keynoter, Melanie Arbor, mentioned that even in Django Girls and PyLadies events, when the when the conversation goes to Stack Overflow, the usual way that it's referred to as is this is a read-only service. For your own health and safety, do not contribute. Um, so there's a part of me that is a little jaded, and I will acknowledge that. But I I do think that overflowing the site with inherently incorrect answers for clout, because you need that clout in order to contribute more to Stack Overflow. So it is literally the snake feeding itself. Um, I think is wrong. I will say that, but I do hope that there are, if not Stack Overflow, other services that are saying, how do we potentially get in this in front of more people so that a lot of the lower level answers, a lot of the answers that are extremely popular do get fed so that when someone asks that question, it's like, 
here's an immediate answer because I've, I've asked questions and had to wait like weeks for someone to put like, did you go to this blog post? And it was like, huh? Yes, I did. But also like it took a week for one person to point out the very first blog post on google.com. So I'm curious what the, what you're looking for from chat GPT there then. Uh, Cause it sounds like you want just a faster answer that is useless. Is that? So I think that not, so it is good if the first answer, cause again, you know, Google, I think knowing how to operate Google is a developer skill that developers mm-hmm. need to learn. I think that a lot of beginners will have questions that are, oh, we look at as trivial answers. And I think that some people do look at that as like, oh, this isn't worth my time answering or, you know, someone who isn't very familiar with Stack Overflow. And I think Stack Overflow has gotten better at doing this to where like, if you ask a question that is similar to another question that's been asked, it'll say, have you looked at this? But I think the easiest way to do this is to be like, hey, I'm this AI bot and you've asked this question on list comprehensions. Here are some really great resources on list comprehensions. And here are some other values. And this is where you can go look. And if you have any questions, here are some other areas to investigate. And if you try to do that for all of the programming languages, all of the stuff, you're it's it's going to be a challenge trying to curate that information consistently. And I think that's where something like a chat GPT type thing could come in handy to where it's like, okay, simple question. Maybe the the original poster could have done a little bit of Googling and and you know gotten some some good hits on it. But I'll also say in a world where now it is easier than ever to write a blog post. There are so many blog posts. So many of those blog posts are outdated. And again, I get told, or I have to check myself on Python knowledge that I thought I had that I know that is no longer the way to do a thing. So it's like, there are a bunch of little like nitpicky things that you don't want to become responsible for maintaining. So if you can figure out the automated or AI version of that maintenance, cool, do that. It's going to make those beginners lives a lot easier. You can even have it include ways that they could improve their, you know, their Google search skills, their stack overflow search skills. Um, Cause I mean, yeah, when I have a simple, I might have a simple problem in a language that I'm not familiar with and I don't know the right terminology to, even find the answer like singletons. I think we talked about this the other day. We're like, I had a question about singletons and we're like, I don't know what that word is. And cause I've never done it before, but I've seen someone write about it this one time, but I don't know how to get back to it. And like, if I can explain what I'm trying to do and then have, you know, something that is chat GPT go, I think what you're talking about are singletons. Here's a bunch of information. I think that would be super helpful. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know that anyone's disputing the fact that that would be super helpful. I think the issue arises when, right, what Stack Overflow's post here is explaining is that, you know, here's a simple question. Okay, here's a simple answer provided by ChatGPT. 
by the way, it was also incorrect. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, uh, and again, you know, I, we're, I agree. We're, we're not quite there. Yeah. Uh, I, and I mean, I, I, I think, you know, part of this definitely exposes some kind of inherent flaws in, in, uh, you know, all the, the volunteer driven nature of this, right. Everybody's, uh, Right, moderating these these question cues and and writing up these answers, um, you know, m- mostly on a on a volunteer basis, and those sorts of systems are easy to overwhelm, right? Um, even even without ChatGPT, right? You could you could have done a a, a similar kind of automation. You know, maybe it's easier to detect uh, to detect. Right, spam with previous uh, technologies, but the 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 big thing here is that right, there were so many incorrect answers being given that they couldn't keep up with moderating it. Right, they're they're not saying that it was just that it was incorrect; it was that the, it, uh, it's an overload of yeah. incorrectness. Title. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean. Uh, and and we've talked about um, this sort of thing before, right? Um, about uh, you know technologies that can that can help with. Uh, I th- I think you brought up the idea of like, hey, explain to me what this code does. Yeah. Right. Um, if if we can do that well, that's that's great. But um, you know, I, I think about this in combination with. Uh, there are a bunch of Python libraries that are right import from Stack Overflow, right? So it's this idea of like you know from uh, and and there's more than one. I've 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 seen at least a couple though that uh, have syntax that looks like you know from Stack Overflow import merge sort, right? And it goes and it finds a Python implementation of merge sort in uh you know in a Stack Overflow answer. And it gives you that as a function. And right now, it, it's it's these layers uh, on layers of like we're automating more and more of this, um, and no one's checking that along the way, right? Of of well, you know, I copied this answer from Stack Overflow because it was the highest rated one. And how many of these these like big security bugs have been like, oh well, you know, it turns out this thing has existed for fifteen years, uh, and just it got through a code review, and and no one, you know, no one really came back to look at it after that. So there's there was a, a follow up uh, that they did on on Stack Overflow about kind of the why. And I, I wanted to to read this because there was this moment where again Cynical J came out and was like, okay. Um <laughs> but the that second paragraph of Stack Overflow is a community built upon trust. Uh, um and that's where like my eyes started to roll a little bit. But it says, you know, the system relies on users to verify and validate contributions. And this is this is where it got interesting that like second to last sentence or that last sentence there 
Trust is broken when users copy and paste information into answers without validating the answer provided by GPT is correct, which is the thing that I think that people do on Stack Overflow already just without using GPT. They just copy and paste an answer. Um, ensuring that the sources used in the answer are properly cited, a service that GPT does not provide. This was a thing that you and I talked about um, previously with some of these other tools of that in many cases, it's not necessarily, or at least in my opinion, whether it's right or wrong is is important. But if I have no way of verifying that data, that's where it gets kind of murky. And I know that, you know, inherently some of the, the controversy around the uh, overall AI world is, where did this data come from? Where was this information collected from? How was it collected? What was the, the, you know, how is appropriation handled? How is it supposed to be handled versus how is it actually handled? Um, I do think that transparency would help a lot in this case. I think that there are a lot of things that can be done better. And, and I, again, to me, this was almost not even a news topic because I knew that we both kind of agreed that it was like, okay, yeah, like it, it's not ready yet. You shouldn't be doing this. This is bad. But I think more for me and the reason why I thought this would make a good extra was like, this opens up so many questions like clout-based and question and answer services. I mean, it's page rank with human beings. And I, I don't really like that idea of like, you can only provide answers if you're popular enough, you know, to some effect. And this encourages this type of behavior, people to quickly become known for their Stack Overflow contributions. And again, that's not everybody. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that everyone does this on Stack Overflow. I will say there have been times where I've known the answer to a problem and I've gone to try to answer it on Stack Overflow. And basically I've been told I'm not popular enough to provide this answer. And I'm like, that's dumb. So while I agree with their decision-making, I have zero pity. <laughs> like I don't, I'm not, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't feel bad that like, Oh, they got bombarded with people who are just trying to buff their, their stack overflow score. And it's like, yeah, because you have to do that. Otherwise it takes forever to become one of those people who can put on their resume. I've answered over 3000 questions on stack overflow. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen people list that on resumes, um, <laughs> which is a weird um, flex. It's, it's a strange one. Um, you know, at, at, at the, at the risk or, maybe with the desire of sounding like a grumpy old man here. Um, you know, what, what we're talking about here is we want a, a magic box where we can say, you know, I want to be able to do this and, you know, just tell me how, right. And the, we, we have that, that's, that's a library, right? This isn't, this isn't new. There are plenty of libraries that are, that are well-tested, well-maintained uh, and, and, you know, artisanally handwritten um and that's one of the things that python uh is known for is is you know being batteries included and having a library for anything you want to do right so 
Um, I think the, the, the bigger aspect here is, is really knowing how to ask for the thing that you want rather than, uh, rather than being able to write it from scratch, right? Because a lot of people have run into the same kind of problems. There aren't new problems. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting though, because this is, this is kind of one of those questions that comes up a lot of like utilizing technology and kind of teaching and talking about it earlier in the education system. Um, this is one of those things where like, will teachers be able to identify papers written with chat GPT? Probably because again, well, maybe not because again, people will be wrong and they will have written it with 100% confidence. But is there ever a moment where like, I mean, I, I will show my age a little bit. It's not that bad. Um, I was in high school right when Wikipedia became the popular way for finding out information. And it was demonized in academia, where now what we've learned is Wikipedia is one of the most accurate because it is so easily refutable. If someone makes a typo, it's easy for anybody to be like, that's a typo, I'm going to correct that. If someone mistypes an age and says, you know, Jay, my, my favorite example, I have police data records where someone entered the wrong value into an Excel spreadsheet and it pre-populated the year to be in the future. So there is a, there is someone got stopped on December 31st, 2022. Think, think, think about that. And, and I have reported this and they still haven't fixed it. So yes, I'm a little angry about it, but like it is, it is one of those things where like, if it's so easy for people to see it and do something about it and have fact checkers come back and be like, that's good or that's bad, this is good. But a lot of people will develop opinions. And I had, had a conversation with this, with my, my hairstylist, even like he's, he took CAD in college when CAD was new. So like you had all the architect professors like demonizing computer-aided drafting and praising, oh, well, how are you going to fix the mistakes that get made and they get mass produced and it's too late to da, 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 da. And it's like, instead, what we should be doing is teaching responsible use. Here's how you can utilize these tools that were designed to benefit you in a useful and helpful way so that down the road, we don't have to go and backpedal on like, yeah, we used to say it was bad, but now we figured out how to use it and it's better. Let's just say we don't know how to effectively use it. We're still learning. Here are the things that we do know. Let's start teaching that as early as possible so that it's normalized and implemented faster because the longer that we demonize it, the slower that process takes. Yeah, and my intention wasn't to say right, throw out all computer-assisted technologies here. You it's heard not, right here. John wants to cancel. Yeah. We we need to go back to writing Python on paper and then punching holes in a punch card machine. And but right, the the 
the analogy made was, was basically fact checkers, right? Is like, is, you know, is this the thing that, that we, that we want it to be, right? Does, does this implementation uh, do what it says on the tin? And when you offload all of the onus to, to right the people, um, cause, cause this isn't a, it's, it's not a right technology in a vacuum problem. It's, it's how it interacts with people. Um, and so when, when you say, okay, well, here's 9,700 answers for how to sort a list that, uh, uh you know, and, and yeah, I'm being hyperbolic, but, um, according to them, you're not though. That's what I mean. That's what they're saying is like, oh, we got so many wrong answers at one time, we couldn't handle it. Right, but I meant with with saying ninety seven hundred uh, for for that specific question. But yeah, um, right when when you're saying, okay, we'll we'll flood the people responsible for for ensuring that things are correct um, with things that are more often than not right. It's it's hard to really look at that and say um, that that. From the outside, it's materially different from a coordinated attack on that system, right? And and you see this in like political uh, commentary all the time, right? Like someone will rattle off these, uh, you know, multitude of what they claim are facts that end up being untrue, right? You you fill the conversation with, well, no, that's not that's not how that works. That's not what that person said. That's not anything that has ever happened. Um, and now you're so far down this rabbit hole of, of verifiably and verified to be false things um, that you've missed the thing that you were going for to begin with. Uh, I, I agree with that. I, I also wonder if accuracy is the thing that they're looking for why do they keep all of the wrong answers submitted by humans on there as well? That's a very fair question. Um, and I can't speak for stack overflows intention there, but, um, you know, it's a, I, th I think at a kind of at, at a, you know, zoomed out look of, of the idea of this thing, right. Is, and and any of this, uh, you know, AI assisted coding, right? Um, it's it's got to help more than it hurts, um, and 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 it also has to not introduce, you know, new unchecked ways of uh, of failure, right? Because you have these kinds of things like, well, your car has autopilot. Um, but definitely don't blink because autopilot isn't reliable, right? Th this is, a, a, you know, an exaggerated version of, of what people actually say about that. And, you know, is it technically true that autopilot, when said to, a, like, an airline pilot, isn't a free pass to, to just not off? Sure. Um, can you... Can you tell, you know, a person on the street, hey, this thing has autopilot and they'll they'll think that that is a system that you still very much have to keep an eye on? Maybe not. 
I think that the because I mean again I'm I'm trying not to make this chase just does not like Stack Overflow as a as an idea because um, I do think it is helpful I do think that it's helpful and again I don't want to demonize technology for the sake of demonizing it um, I do think that Stack Overflow is it has it has some issues with it that that make it hard because because my thing is okay talk about what you're doing behind the scenes with this then like again stack overflow is a wealth of knowledge if stack overflow said like hey we want to work with open ai to train to help train this gpt model they have a wealth of both good and bad answers and i mean i wouldn't be surprised if this model didn't train on some of that data already and and this is where I'm like, what what is the purpose of Stack Overflow? What is not what are they saying their purpose is, but what is the purpose? Because if the purpose was to get the right answer, then they would once an answer was verified, they should remove all other answers. If someone said that this is the answer and I, and I understand that it's not that easy because it's not always going to be the answer. In fact, sometimes I have figured out the answer to my problem by looking at the wrong answers. But if that's the case what's the harm of letting chat GPT in then? because if people can learn from the wrong answers, well, then they can learn from chat GPT. And, and I think if, if it's just, we don't know what to do, say that that's fine. We don't know what to do. We, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to demonize all of the wrong answers. We can't handle all of the, I mean, we, we don't feel comfortable marking these as potentially computer generated answers. We don't feel comfortable with, having an unverified, you know, <laughs> verification stickers. I mean, they can talk to Elon about that, have like unverified stickers and they can all be different colors based on how confident they are that it's the wrong answer, I guess. But I'm not helping. I'm just being a, a jerk now. Um, but I feel like right now, all of the commentary is just, Chat PT is or Chat GPT is so much fun because everyone's throwing it up on Twitter and Mastodon and all this stuff of like, oh look, I had it describe my job. Um, I will say I was going to have it like generate a review for this show and kind of ex like explain to someone who doesn't know what Python is or what Python Community News Podcast does, just to see what it would do. But it. I got confused in the whole login process because I have an OpenAI account, but then you need like a special OpenAI. It's it was weird. Um, but so many people are having fun with this and so many people want to see the success of this. And then you have this company that's just outright like we've banned it temporarily. And I love that they did at least said temporarily, you know, that gives them the ability to change their mind. It gives them the, gives them the ability to pursue this from a different angle down the road. But I do wish that more people were talking about that part and not just the like chat GPT is confidently wrong and it's hurting Stack Overflow because, I mean, again, Stack Overflow doesn't need help hurting itself. Um, it has its own flaws. I just hope that what we're not doing is turning chat GPT into the next Wikipedia where everybody wants to use it and everybody wants to see it improve. But then the services that could really help it improve kind of shut the door immediately. Yeah, I mean, Wikipedia is also by no means perfect. Right. There are 
plenty of uh, useful articles that get deleted all the time. Um, the uh, if if you ever look at the uh, the like contribution stats, it's this is not like you know the the whole of the knowledge of the world, right? It's 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 a pretty small number of people, all things told, contributing uh, the the bulk of of what's on there, and you know people get into um, these you know, edit wars and, and, uh, you know, you, you get articles deleted because you're like, oh, well, this person isn't notable as far as I'm concerned. All right. Well, then that's, uh, you know, who, who made that person judge and jury? Well, their, their number of stack overflow and Wikipedia points did. Right. Um, And and to me, that's the the inherent problem is the, the judge and jury, are elected based on their their clout which i mean if if the if the service clout can't continue to run effectively i don't think anything that bases itself off of clout should necessarily run that way either well that that was a that was quite a throwback but um uh you know i think i think we could continue this uh for a long time i don't think this is the last time this is going to come up on the show um but we are running out of time for today um so uh, i i will mention that we had uh, a handful of other topics that that were super interesting this week uh that are posted as uh brief episodes on our youtube channel so if you go to youtube.com slash at pi community news uh you'll find those videos there uh, and we also have a couple of conference announcements uh, Jay, you want to uh, cover these? Yeah. So the first one is uh, PyCon US. It's it's the big one. Uh, PyCon US tickets are now available. I do believe they're still in early bird at the time of recording this. So if you want to get a uh, looks like a like hundred dollar hundred or fifty to a hundred dollar discount, um, go get those. Also, uh, just as we mentioned with the PSF. Um, conversation if you are a student there's a discounted rate also if you are um unemployed underemployed or if you're in an area where you know paying 350 dollars for a ticket plus hotel plus flight all those things could put a financial burden on you uh, make sure you apply for that financial aid you might be wondering where that money comes from it comes from those people who are donors and, and paying members and the corporate sponsors and all those things. Um, so there is money there available if you can't afford your ticket. Um, I would definitely suggest go and go and like tr- at least try try to try to save a little bit of money. Like if if you feel like going to PyCon is going to put you in a in a bind, like try to save that money doing so. Um, and the second one, uh, one of my favorite conferences that I sadly won't be attending this year, um, is Pi Cascades. Pi Cascades tickets are also on sale now. Uh, you can get those tickets. John mentioned this before that like regional conferences tend to be a little bit cheaper. Uh, this is exactly it. Although the, well, I guess, yeah, it's a little bit cheaper. Everything is a little bit cheaper. So if you're, uh, if you're a professional, they have a rate for you. If you're an enthusiast, they have a rate. And if you're a student, you have a rate. Um, I know for a fact Pi Cascades also does um, financial aid support. Yep, there. Because I 
Pi Cascades was the second conference I ever attended, and I attended on a financial aid scholarship. So um, definitely one of those uh, organizations that I, I really support and endorse going to. It's a great first or second conference if you want to go to it. Um, yeah, go go check those out. And uh, as John mentioned, we have a bunch of other content other content that pops up um, throughout the week. We have plenty of ways for you to catch up with us. Python Community News uh, is the the channel. Pi Community News is how you get to us, youtube.com slash at Pi Community News. Um, we put out three videos this week. Each of them are around a minute and a half to two minutes long. Um, there might be a supercut. Depends on if my voice holds out. Um, but we're going to be doing that more where there's going to be videos during the week. Uh, also, there is the newsletter as well. And of course, I am writing all of this stuff out as we go. But Python Community News is the newsletter as well button down dot email slash python dash community dash news and if you're like that's too many things i can't figure out where they all are simple enough python community news.com give you links to all that stuff so yeah go over there all right we miss anything this week jay um, we did. And one of, one of my favorite people just entered the chat, but I think that's going to at least wrap it up for the main show. Do we have time to talk to continue our, uh, discussion about security breaches? Sure we do. All right. Well, I guess in that case, I'm Jay. I'm John. And I'll actually let you say it this time. Cause I forgot you're leading the show, not me. <laughs> and this has been Python community news. Tune in next week.